This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast, everybody. Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. And it's been an exciting start to the NHL season. There are just goals, goals, goals flying in everywhere. I think it's the highest amount of offense in, what, three decades or something to start the year. It's been exciting. I'm loving it. Are you guys loving it? I, I'm loving it. And I think, I think it's, 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 uh, it's sort of indicative of what happens when the stars are allowed to do what they do, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got John Tavares, you've got Austin Matthews, you've got Jonathan Taves coming back to, uh, from the dead to, you know, to kind of become this, this elite player again. You've got all these stars who are, who are doing their thing, except for Connor McDavid, McDavid, of course, because the NHL chose to put him in, you know, in Europe for the first game of the year, and he doesn't. He only plays once in the first nine days. That yeah. was a good move on their part. Um, but uh, but I, I think it's really indicative of what happens when, you know, the league allows the stars to do their thing. And I, I think it's something that we all enjoy seeing. Uh, I don't think it's going to last, um, but it's 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 been fun so far. And and a fair amount of AHL goaltending to, in the mix there too. Oh yeah. Yes. What's interesting to me, too, and I, I kind of want to ask some players about this, is it feels like a lot of guys are getting clowned this year, like already going yeah. back to the preseason yeah. where guys are just like missing, like it's like Allen Iverson ankle-breaking territory out there. Maybe it's just because guys are so skilled now with puck handling and they're so good at disguising their moves, but it feels like a, an awful lot of defenders, forwards and actual defensemen, are, are looking silly so far, which... It's bad for them, but it's good for the memes. That's right. And also, <laughs> speaking of looking silly, it's a nice little transition to our hot topics. Nobody, unfortunately, has looked sillier than Brian Elliott so far. Uh, already in an eight spot, a snowman allowed, I believe. Last and it, it, That's right. And it came on the heels of him speaking out about the new streamlined goalie equipment, the chest protectors and the arm protectors. And he believes that it's getting too small. He said he's bruised all over his body. Uh, and... It's a legitimate question to ask because we do want more scoring. We're getting more scoring. But are we starting to approach that line where we're going to trade the scoring for our goalie's safety? Well, clearly when he gave up that eight spot, he was trying not to get hit. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a great form of protest. He avoided a yes. lot of bruises. I will not get hit avoided by the puck tonight. avoided a lot of bruises. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. I think it's early. I, I don't hear any other goalies complaining about it right now. If there was this sort of mass protest among goalies saying that this stuff is, you know, we're in danger. Um, I think part of the problem, guys, is that the goalies have been gaming the system for the last 10 or 15 years. Plain and simple. They've been gaming the system. At least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so it got to the point where the pendulum had swung too far the other way. And the, the equipment wasn't there to protect. It was there to enhance their abilities. And that's not what your equipment is for, right? So... I think now it's kind of swinging back the other way. And until I hear, you know, a sort of a groundswell of discontent among goalies saying, you know, we're in danger, I, I, I'm not going to put too, too much stock into, you know, what one goalie's saying. Yeah. I also wonder, too, if the way goalies play the game will have an effect. Like, for a while there, it was all about blocking, you know, being big in the net, blocking the puck. But... If you're more of an athletic goaltender, if you're making saves with your pad, with you know, with your goal pads, if you're making it with your blocker and your glove, 
you're not going to get as many bruises because you're making that save in a more clean fashion. So maybe this is just a style thing where it, it feels like the blocking is falling out of favor in you know in favor of a, a more athletic style. Maybe that solves part of the problem right there. And I think a more aggressive style too. Like I was watching yeah. Carey Price and Carey Price looks like he's attacking the puck. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like it's like, no, I'm not waiting for you for it to come to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out and attack it. So, you know, that might be a factor as well. Right. And I do wonder if we're going to reach a point where goalies have to start managing their reps. And I remember Dominic Hasek told me this. He said that, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do the Hasek impression. I, I probably have to do it. He said, in the 80s when we get hit by the puck, <laughs> In practice, it's very it's pa very painful. We have to be very careful. And and what Hashik was saying was you had to manage those reps. You couldn't take as many shots in practice because you were getting bruised. So I wonder if goaltenders now have to start considering doing that. But if you do that, then you're getting less practice and you're not as sharp for a game. I'm not so sure, Matt, because I was talking to Dave Pryor about this, the goalie coach in Vegas, and he was talking about, you know, when he worked with Marc-Andre Fleury last summer, talked about his revitalization. He talked about, you know, not overworking in practice. So, you know, I mean, I don't think it's important for a goalie to get, you know, 500 pucks thrown at him in practice. I, th I think it's important for him to practice like it's the game, you know, so don't right. cheat. Don't, you know, don't go lunging for pucks that you normally wouldn't do. So, um, you know, I, th I think it's, you know, it's a work in progress here. We're four games into a situation where the goalies have had their, their stuff tapered down. And, you know, like I said, I think it's kind of, it's kind of a situation where it's kind of swinging back a little bit after uh, way too long when it was going the other way. Well, sticking with goalies, um, a lot of the goalies are also dropping like flies. They're not just letting in pucks, they're getting hurt. And we've seen three prominent starting goaltenders go down already with reasonably major injuries, uh, you know, multi-week situations. You got Roberto Longo with the MCL sprain, two to four weeks. Jonathan Quick with the groin, week to week. But we know Jonathan Quick's history and his athletic style. It's going to require a long recovery, possibly, to get him back where he needs to be to play his style. Uh, and now maybe the, the, the scariest one is Matt Murray of the Pittsburgh Penguins, another concussion. That's multiple concussions in his young career. And I think it's eight, nine absences now it's going to be with yeah. injuries in this mm -hmm. young career, just his fourth full NHL season. Um, so which, which team do you think is in the most trouble? We could say every one of these teams is in trouble because these are all important players. But which team do you think is in the greatest danger now with their goaltender out? I kind of look at Pittsburgh right now because yeah. – I mean, Matt Murray was their clear number one. At least in Florida, you have James Reimer, who is an experienced goaltender. He's been a starter before. And with Los Angeles, you know, their team defense is so good. They have so many high-end elements that play both ways, you know, whether it's Drew Doughty or even Andre Kopitar. I, I think they have the depth to manage that. And Peter Budai played really well for the Kings last year when he had to. Um, with Pittsburgh, I mean, Murray's the guy. And I, I also worry that, as you said, Matt, it's multiple times that he's been on the shelf. And with a concussion, you don't know the timeline. He just has to get better. For Pittsburgh, I, I was already a little bit worried about their, their depth up front this year. But if you don't have Murray in net, that's, that's a big hole in your depth chart. And you also have to think long term, is he just too skinny a guy to carry that weight long term? I mean, he had a fantastic start to his career, obviously, winning the Stanley Cup right off the bat. But is it sustainable? Can he be a guy who gives you 65 starts, maybe even 70 starts in a season? Because right now, based on Pittsburgh's depth in net, you need that. Yeah, I'd like, I mean, Ryan Miller with that body type was able to do it, but I think you're right. I'm not sure if, uh, 
if Matt Murray's the guy. And you know, we were just talking about practice. Two of these, two of these three injuries, in practice. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> to my point, yeah, practice. practice. We're talking about practice. Talking about pra- not a game. Not a game. Not a game. Practice. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Penguins are in the worst uh, situation here. Not necessarily because they're missing Matt Murray, because quite honestly, and this might be a hot take, I don't think he's been that good. He hasn't. He has not been good for a full yeah, year. He hasn't been that good. Last year. last year, he was not good. Uh, he hasn't been good early this year. So I'm not sure that you know Casey DeSmith is a huge downgrade from that. I think Pittsburgh's in trouble because their defense is a disaster. You know that Jack Johnson only Mata pairing is. Wow, that's downright scary. Who would have thought Jack Johnson <laughs> yeah, would <laughs> I can hear Dom Lushishin on Twitter right now groaning, <laughs> just groaning at the thought of yeah. the Jack Johnson <laughs> only Mata but I, I, I do think Pittsburgh's in the worst trouble because I think those young goalies are, are not equipped well enough to deal with the onslaught that is going to face them. I think in Florida, you know, you've got James Reimer there. And they've got, they got him for a reason. They got him because, you know, Roberto Luongo's 39 years old. So you're gonna, these things are going to happen. The most Roberto Luongo should be playing is what he played last year, 33 to 35 games, I think, you know. And, and so, you know, Reimer's a guy that can come in. He's played number one minutes before. He can carry the mail. And, you know, what's interesting is that, is that they got Michael Hutchinson this year uh, for that reason because – they have more back-to-backs than any team in the league. They have 17 mm. back-to-backs this season. So they're going to need that backup goalie to be someone who can, who can deliver them a win once in a while, you know? Um, and then in, in Los Angeles, I mean, you've got Jack Campbell, who's, you know, kind of revived his career. And then you've got that goaltending depth with Peter Budai, who, you know, as we've seen over the course of his career, can come in for a 10 or 15-game stretch and be lights out. So, Fair, fair. Um, in the news this week, Boston Bruins owner Jeremy Jacobs, he spoke out uh, saying that he believes Houston is the missing piece to achieve the perfect alignment in the NHL down the road. I personally think, I'm I'm not saying I agree with uh, many things or, I don't know, many things that that Jeremy Jacobs says, uh, but I I think he's onto something there. I see a perfect alignment there. Uh, If Seattle comes into the Pacific Division, then you have nine teams in the Pacific. You take Arizona, you move them to the Central that has seven teams. Houston is a central time zone. It's a great market. I think that alignment works very nice. And maybe <clears throat> you move Ottawa to Quebec City. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think Jacobs is onto something there? Well, it doesn't matter whether he's onto something. It doesn't matter what I think or you think. If Jeremy Jacobs says it, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's one of the most powerful men in hockey. Yeah. He is the alpha dog on the executive committee. So he's the head of the committee that's the really powerful committee among the board of governors. So if he says this, I, I mean, Jeremy Jacobs doesn't just doesn't just let this stuff roll off his tongue, right? Yeah, it's not and, and say, he said it for a reason. He said that for a reason. There is a trial balloon being floated here. And I think what's being told is, hey, uh, I guess it's Les Alexander in, in Houston. Hey, buddy. Fertitta, Fertitta. Or Sorry, Fertitta. Right. Was yeah. Les, yes, I'm sorry about that. Um, I, I think what he's saying to that guy is, hey, buddy, start getting your ducks in a row because we're going to be looking. And, and I, I, think that, I think that was very deliberate. I think that was very planned. I think everything that Jeremy Jacobs says when it comes to this sort of thing is that thing. So if Jeremy Jacobs is saying it, it's not only on the radar, they're looking very seriously at it. Yeah, and Houston as a market is very tantalizing for the NHL because it's one of the largest cities on the continent now, and it's, it's a pretty diverse city. 
Obviously, they have the infrastructure for major sports teams. You're looking television ratings as well. You're getting a great rival for Dallas. I mean, right. the Houston, Dallas. I, I feel like in Texas, sports are kind of important. <laughs> you uh, might be onto something yeah, there. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I, I feel like cities in Texas might, you be know. a little tribal. Yeah, it might yeah, be a little yeah, tribal yeah. there. Uh, I think it's a great place. You, you have a lot of industry there that is kind of transient. You think about the oil industry. I mean, Tyler Myers was actually born outside of Houston, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he went to watch the uh, the, the uh, Arrows, the, the American Hockey League. There you go. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was his first. That was just kind of his first indoctrination to hockey. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So I, I think that you know Houston actually has more of a hockey legacy than a lot of people might expect. Gordy Howe played there for a bit, did he not? I'm not sure. Or did Houston, Mark Howe? The Houston Apollos, though, were a, quite a force in the Central League at one time. They were Montreal's farm team. So a lot of the great Montreal players from the 60s, that and that sort of forgotten dynasties of mm-hmm. the 60s, they came through there. True story, bro. There you go. And these are all important <laughs> factors because if you think about markets that start to develop players uh, at a greater clip, St. Louis, for example, a lot of the work is done by former players. And with you know with the Blues, you know Keith Kachuk and Al McInnes. I mean, you know Jeff Brown. A lot of those guys stuck around in St. Louis for a while. Their kids grew up there, and then you started seeing not only the second generation become NHL prospects, but just other kids in general, like Clayton Keller, for example, that sort of feed off that talent and that experience. And I think, you know, for an NHL and for uh, the sport in general to tap into that Houston market more than it has already is just great for the grassroots game. Good point. Excellent. Uh, it's Fantasy Insider time, and this name, it shouldn't be obvious. I mean, it wasn't obvious even a week ago, but now it's very obvious. At the same time, it's it's this guy is not owning 50% of leagues. So I'm going to say the name, and I want you to hit pause and go get this guy immediately. Kasperi Kapanen. He's on the Austin Matthews line. I don't have to say much more. Just go get him. Matthews has eight goals in his first four games. Kapanen is obviously the beneficiary. He's got great speed. He can skate with that line. Just go get him right now, okay? Now that you've hit unpause, next name is... Henry Yokiharyu, ah. first round pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. He is Duncan Keith's new partner, and we know there's pedigree there. There's puck moving ability there, and he's off to a great start. He's racking up points. We know the Blackhawks need him. They need him badly. That's why yeah. he made the team. This team is very starved for defense, so we know the role is going to be there. There's a good chance that he sticks on that top pair all season long. He seems to be the guy that's feeding Jonathan Taves too a lot. I think he is. Yeah. That's probably yeah. right. And right now we're not seeing Yoki Haru on that top power play, but if he keeps playing like this, it's only a matter of time, so go get him. Another defenseman to go pick up, Dennis Chalowski in Detroit. Another guy, again, first-round pedigree. You look for these guys. When guys who are obviously drafted to be important parts of the team start showing the skill and get handed a big role, it's not a coincidence, and it's likely that they're going to keep that role. Chalowski is getting the power play time in Detroit. He's already showing some offense. He can move the puck. And with Mike Green out, Detroit really needs... Detroit does not have that puck mover in the lineup other than Chalowski. He's got a great opportunity, and... He doesn't have a lot of competition on the depth chart, just like Yoki Haru. So if you're looking for depth on defense, it's cheap out there right now on the waiver wire. So go and get it. Future watch time, Mr. Ryan Kennedy. Who do you have for me, a guy who is draft eligible that you're looking at this week? Well, for 2019, I'm looking at Kirby Doc with the Saskatoon Blades of the Western League. For me right now, uh, you know, Doc is a top five guy. I think for the title of best prospect in the dub, you're probably looking at Doc and Dylan Cousins from Lethbridge. Doc off to a fantastic start, 14 points in his first eight games, 
He's six foot four, 193 pounds. Very smart kid. He can shoot the puck. He can pass it. He can score. He, he's really the whole package. He showed very well at the Helenka Gretzky tournament for Canada this summer. They won gold. Uh, he's a two-way guy, and I mean, he's he's the kind of guy you want. I mean, he can play down the middle, and you know, he's still working on his face-offs as most young players are. But there's so much potential there that for me, it's it would be silly for him not to be top five if he continues at the pace he's at right now. Excellent. And who do you have your eye on in terms of guys who are already drafted? Well, the fantastically named Uka Pekaluokinen, playing for the Sudbury Wolves of the OHL. This was the first year since, I believe, 2012 or so that European goaltenders were allowed to play right. in the CHL. And several teams took advantage. The Sudbury Wolves, first and foremost, getting Luokinen uh, with a high import draft pick. You know, he had played in Finland against men. Um, he had played, I believe, in the second division mostly last year. But he is on fire for the Wolves. He's 5-0, and 9.44 save percentage. The Wolves had not won five games in a row since 2013. Ooh, don't they I know it. They already got it. Don't I know it. Sudbury proud, right, Ken? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this team is red hot. And obviously they have talent up front. Quentin Byfield, Blake Murray is up for the draft this year. But Uko Pekalukanen has been such a steadying force in net. He's got great size. And, I mean, he's, he's getting the job done early. From what I understand, the Wolves didn't even think they were going to get this guy. Like, they just kind of took him. They had third pick in the import draft, and they took him thinking, like, basically on a flyer. And they weren't, they, they just figured they weren't going to get the kid. And then sort of things sort of fell into place for them. They talked to Buffalo, and they said, you know, I mean, from what I'm told, the scuttlebutt is that they said, you know, we're going to give this kid a whole whack of starts this year. We're going to give him all, you know, we're going to give him 40 to 50 starts. And, and then he comes back from Buffalo's camp, and I know that, you know, I mean, in a game in Barrie, I think Sudbury was beat 10-3. And their, their first goalie got pulled, their second goalie let in two goals on three shots. It, it, you know, and then this guy comes, and then now all of a sudden, they're getting outshot in a lot of games, and they're staying in these games because they have some decent firepower up front. Quentin Byfield's been very, very good for them yep. uh, so far. So uh, all's good for the Sudbury Wolves. Yeah, we'll and... There you go. And yeah, for the Buffalo Sabres, this is great because you want your young prospects get increased time. And if it's not at the pro level, then junior is a great option. Jeremy Helvig was another great example of this. Uh, he's a Carolina prospect. They sent him back to Kingston last year, and he got a ton of starts. It was great for his development. You just need to find creases for these kids. Right, and that's why you signed Carter Hutton just for a couple years, keep the seat warm while you're developing underneath. And it's a nice plan laid out by Jason Botterill in, in Buffalo. Uh, from the magazine, oh man, this is one of the, the, my favorite projects we've ever done. Feast your eyes on this. It's the top 100 goaltenders of all time. Uh, Long-term project we put together. We spoke to probably half the goaltenders that are still alive. Um, and we caught up with a lot of them, what they've done with their lives since, and sort of summarized their career. Uh, and we put a ton of work into it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think the goalies had a lot of fun doing it. I know uh, one off the top of my head, Ilya Brzgalov. I won't say what number he is. <laughs> Um, but when I called him about it, he said, he kept stopping me while I was interviewing him and saying, wait, wait, I need you to tell me again. I am one of top 100 goaltender of all time. And I said, yes, yes, you are. And he couldn't believe it. Uh, I don't know. I personally thought it was just a blast putting this together. Um, so it's going to be on newsstands in the weeks to come. So please go and get it. And it's a great keepsake, great Christmas present as well. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Hot take time, Kenny boy. All right, here we go. 
Right. Uh, well, to me, I don't understand. Like, can someone explain to me what the difference is between the Lars Eller goal celebration when he scored the 7 nothing goal against Boston and Austin Matthews' goal celebration the other night against Chicago? Can someone tell me what the difference was between that? And don't tell me that Austin Matthews wasn't showing up as his opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in Chicago Stadium and you score a goal where they usually play Chelsea Dagger when the other team scores, and you go like this, you're showing up your opponent, okay? I didn't have a big problem with it, but why does everybody say, oh, Austin Matthews, showtime, oh, this is so great, young players showing their, you know, showing their personality and everything, and Lars Eller does sort of the same thing, not in, in a little different form, not maybe not great form, but gets punched in the head three times by Brad Marchand when he had no interest in fighting. Brad Marchand has seven assists right now. He's probably in the top five or six of goals or of scoring. He has yeah. no goals. He has seven assists right now. He should have zero points because the NHL should have suspended him for 10 games right there. Lars Eller had no interest in fighting. And, and I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, this notion that every slight, every sort of comment, everything has to be, has to be, you know, that you have to get revenge for it. You have to, you have to atone for it. It's, it's, it's garbage. And to me, I mean, that, that to me, you know, you look at the, Department of Player Safety, and the the day before that happened, they suspended Tom Wilson for 20 games for a terrible hit, for a a repeat offender that did a terrible thing. And then, you know, the next day, Brad Marchand, who is no stranger to the Department of Player Safety himself, uh, goes and punches a a defenseless guy in the head who didn't have any interest in fighting three times and gets off scot-free. I think Brad Marchand actually has his own key to the conference room that they have at the players. <laughs> yeah, they gave him one yeah. of those cards. He just buzzed himself <laughs> yeah, exactly. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He might even Secretary, have a hey, card. Brad, how's it going? Yeah, he <laughs> might actually get a free hearing after his next hearing because he filled up his stamps because it's like Subway. Uh, the, yeah. The, I, you know what's funny, though, is, I mean, Brad Marchand is, is part of the reason, you know, that, that that happened. I think, you know, he thinks the game a certain way. Um Patrick Kane got the best revenge of all. He scored for the Blackhawks, yeah, and then yeah. he gave Matthews the little call back, which, I mean, that made it a fun game. Oh, it did. That was a fun please, more, more yeah. of this. Although please. Patrick Kane did say he didn't like it. He said he didn't like it, but, I mean, that's kind of the teapot. You know, I mean, Patrick Kane with the, uh, you know, heartbreaker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> His goal celebrations have been pretty over the top, too. Yeah, yeah that's true. And the irony is, you know, Brad Marchand, to me, he represents the old guard. It's hockey culture. That Hockey culture is what was punching Lars Eller in the face, right? right? But the irony is hockey culture is so tough, but reactions like that, it suggests that he's very thin-skinned, and a lot of teams are thin-skinned. Like you said, Ken, this code where everything must be avenged, that's not tough. That means you're very thin-skinned and you can't take the slightest little offense. And, I mean, who knows? Who knows how far back this goes, right, with Lars Eller and Brad Marchand? Remember, Lars Eller used to play for the Montreal Canadiens, right? Mm -hmm. And Brad Marchand for the Boston Bruins. They probably have a rivalry that's going back years and years. They've probably done things to each other on the ice. Maybe something happened during that game that that caused Lars Eller to do what he did. I I don't know. But, I I mean, it seemed to me to be really... (laughs) Really, really barbaric and excessive. The only thing I can say, and again, I don't condone it. I hated it. Um, but I do see a difference between the two plays. One was a, a 7 nothing goal. The other one was a, a, a go-ahead goal in a tie game. So I felt like Matthew's reaction, I, I understood it more because he, he was fired up. The Leafs just took the lead, whereas Eller was celebrating, you know, 7 nothing, 6 nothing. Okay, but if you're, if you're going to use that logic, shouldn't Chicago have been more pissed at 
getting a goal scored on them with a minute and five seconds left in a tie game? Shouldn't they have been totally upset about that? But they needed, Boston was down 7 nothing. But they didn't they want to take a penalty because they, they needed yeah, to try exactly. and tie the game. Exactly. But I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's a, it, there's a fair debate, I think, on both sides. Uh, time for some mailbag questions. First one is from Jordan Sampson. Jordan says, what is the roughest arena in the league to attend uh, a game at as, as far as access, conditions, and the neighborhood it's located in? I'm going to say, I mean, my definition of rough is more like it's just a rough trip to get out there. Uh, I'm going to say Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. And hey, I, I'm from Ottawa originally. I feel like I have the right to diss Ottawa's building. I was there for the Ottawa Civic Center, okay? I was there during the rookie season, so I have a right. Um, but it's, it's a pain to get out there. I remember going even to the All-Star Game in 2012 and having to just take this huge bus in the snow just to... You feel like you're taking a, a field trip just to get out there. And, I mean, every, it's no secret. Everyone knows it's the most inconvenient arena in the league to get to. It's away from the downtown core. And it's just, it's a, it's a terrible setup. It always was. It was from day one. Yeah, I took, uh, yeah, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. I remember one time when I was covering the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, Lance Hornby from the Toronto Sun and I were uh, driving out to the game. And uh, and we, we, we were driving and... We decided to turn on the radio, and we realized that the game had already started. So that's how, <laughs> oh. that's how, that's how bad the traffic wow. was out, out on the way to the game. Uh, for me, I, I took rough to mean kind of rough area, and for me, it's a toss-up between uh, the Prudential Center in Newark and the United Center in Chicago. Uh, again, when I was covering the Leafs as a beat writer for the Toronto Star, I remember covering games in Chicago, and the way it would work is, you know, the game would end. We'd get our quotes, we'd write our story. So it would be a good hour, hour and a half after the game by the time we were leaving the building. So everyone was gone by then. They had a security guard at the front of the building who's one of, I'm sure he had other, other he or she had other jobs, but that person's job was to walk all the reporters out to their car in the parking lot. Hmm. So the distance from your, your yeah. the, the main thing to the parking lot was something that they worried about. Uh, so you could get to your car safely, so you could drive back. I mean, Newark, uh, I know another reporter at the draft when it was there a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, another reporter was walking down one of the streets near the arena. He was going to meet a friend for dinner or something, and the, and the police pulled him over and said, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm just going to meet a friend for dinner. He said, get in here. They said, get in this car right now. Do you know wearing that coat and carrying around a cell phone what kind of danger you're putting wow. yourself in? So, yeah, those are probably the two roughest for me. Yeah, for me, and I would agree on Newark 100%, um, it's Calgary, and... I, I take it more for conditions like the neighborhood is fine it's actually pretty nice around there but I remember covering the world juniors and it was so hard to get to the arena just because of the traffic in that area it's not really made for that kind of traffic but the arena itself is just falling apart yeah, and yeah. I mean and, and keep in mind this was years ago that I was at the world juniors and they really haven't upgraded. I know they want a new arena and they should pay for one themselves. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but, you know, you took your life in your hands every time you went in the elevator. And just the building itself, I mean, it was filled with fans. The fans were going nuts. The atmosphere itself was good, but the building is just dilapidated. They didn't sell out their first game. Wow. They didn't sell out their home opener. Wow. And which was all those improvements. Yeah, too. yeah, they did not sell out their home opener. Yeah. And the thing about Calgary too is, if you're afraid of heights, 
yeah. <laughs> that catwalk yeah, going you across. Do a catwalk. That catwalk going across. I yes. remember I remember going across that a few times and getting a funny feeling in the bottom of my feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sometimes it's fun when you say like it was so crazy in there, the press box was swaying. But there, the press box is swaying <laughs> like before swaying. the game even starts. There's nothing to do with the fans. It's yeah. just And dodgy. when they score, they, they have this huge flame that comes up. Either that or when they win or whatever. And you can feel like it's like, woo! <laughs> like singeing your hair, yeah. I think for vantage point, at least from the press box perspective, uh, Staples Center would be my least favorite. It's the only arena I've been to where I can't quite make out the names on the jerseys because you're just, for some reason, you're further back from the action. But... but but Staples Center makes it up by having this chocolate-covered popcorn that is the popcorn equivalent of crack cocaine. <laughs> well, there you go. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, next question is from Elijah Adrian. And Elijah says, who is the most entertaining player interview? You just look forward to the interview because you know you'll have a good time. Um, for me, it's a toss-up between... I mean, P.K. Subban is the easy answer, of course. Uh, but I really like talking to Drew Doughty and Taylor Hall for the same reason. Um, because you know that both guys are going to say whatever's on their mind. They're not going to hold anything back. They don't care, and they're just going to give you a real honest interview, and they're going to take their time and talk to you for a while. So those would be two of my favorites. If I'm, if I'm ever assigned a story for Drew Doughty or Taylor Hall, I'm like, oh, sweet, this is going to be fun. Uh, my two are probably two really different players. One of them is Evander Kane of the Buffalo Sabres, who I who I love talking to. San Jose to. Sharks, now. Sorry, San Jose Sharks. Yeah, he got traded, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, a little while ago. Uh, yes, yeah, Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks. Um, I mean, the Sharks just in general, like they've got Logan Couture, who's great. They've got Joe, who's great. Joe yeah. Thornton, Joe Pavelski, maybe not so much. But but uh, but Evander Kane is the kind of guy that you sit down and you say. Hey, how's it going? And he just starts talking. And so, you know, I mean, it's not these guys. It's not their job to fill up our notebooks, but uh, it's kind of neat when they do have something good to say. Um, and the other guy is co for completely different reasons, who's like a really sneaky, really good quote is Carey Price, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, He's a guy that, that, but his words... He doesn't say a lot of words, but all of his words have density. You know what I mean? Every word he says means something. He doesn't speak in cliches. He doesn't, you know, that sort of thing. I remember at the World Cup uh, when he was, uh, he, you know, he was saying, well, this is just another game. And they were all saying that, right? And one of the reporters from Montreal said, you know, why do you guys always say that? Why do you guys always say it's just another game? He says, you know, like when my beer league team plays against Maggie's Convenience Store, we get up for the game so much, we're so excited. And Carey Price just looks at him and he goes, wow, Maggie's Convenience, they must be a pretty good team. <laughs> I thought that was good. That's pretty good. Uh, for me, I'll go with Brent Burns, uh, also of the San Jose Sharks. Maybe an obvious candidate, but I feel that you know, Brent Burns and his element is, it's just so free and you get such good little anecdotes because of his big personality. I remember talking to him at the All-Star Game in Columbus. He was talking about, you know, being a father and how great that was. Um, but he had like stickers from the movie Frozen on his back for an entire day one time. He didn't even realize it, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, when you talk to him, even about, e even questions that most NHLers kind of punt on, you get good answers from yeah. Brent Burns. Like yeah. if you ask him what's in his backpack, ask him, I asked him that one time, what's in your backpack? And he says, uh, a blender. It's like, like a full, he's like, yeah, full-size full blender. Yeah, it's yeah. like, whenever yeah. I need a smoothie, I know I'm prepared, even if it's on the road. And he carries backpacks like wow. everywhere. The Sharks actually did, the team did something on Brett Burns this summer. He's got this ranch 
and he's got all these exotic animals on it, and he's got a guy who takes care of them, and everything. it was really, really interesting. Yeah. But he's got like these, like in, like it's like a zoo. This ranch is like, honey, we bought the zoo or whatever, whatever what that movie was or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and so, you know, he's got this this thing going, and it was really, really interesting. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He also keeps his teeth in the drawer. He told me that once. That when, those teeth, he pops them out. <laughs> Opens the door, tosses them in there. So there you go. And he I'm leaves gonna... them there all the time. I never see him wearing them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Touche. Touche. Next question comes from, this is the name of the user, Vote November 6th. And Vote November 6th asks, that's something I never thought I'd say today when I, when I woke up this morning. Good boy. Vote November 6th asks, uh, is Jonathan Taves hot start for real? And that's a really good question. I've been asking myself the same thing. Um, it's not like Taves is ancient. Um, but he's, you know, getting to that age 30 juncture of his career. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like his, his offense had been steadily declining. Uh, so I, I do wonder, what do you guys think? I mean, this is a guy that people thought was was done last year. I mean, you know, the way he played and, and kind of, he just looked tired and, and, and really beaten down last year. Um, but from everything that I've heard, he's, he's, he's stronger, he's faster, he's bigger this year. Um, it, it, it appears to me as though Jonathan Taves is, you know, I, I, I think he took that kind of last year and the way people perceived him. I think he took that personally. And when, you know, when a superstar or I'm not, maybe he's, no, he's probably not a superstar in the NHL. He's a, a he's a star in the NHL. Uh, you know, when elite players in the NHL, when that happens, they're, they're very proud guys. And I think they do take that stuff personally. And I think they do see it as a, as a personal challenge and a, and a guy like you know John Jonathan Taves's character you know it's not in his DNA to say yeah I got my 10.5 coming to me for the next whatever number of years I'm just gonna sort of ride it out I think he's the kind of guy that is really proud he's won cups he's he's won the Smythe trophy he wants to prove that he's still that kind of player so I, I think I think that definitely the the spirit is willing and I and I think it it's looking as though you know the body is able to yeah, and there are a couple of reasons to think this isn't just a hot start. One is that he still has cover from Patrick Kane. Like, if you're playing the Blackhawks, you can't say, okay, we're just going to shut down the Taves line because then you're leaving Patrick Kane to run wild. So yeah. they both work off each other very well in that sense. And, and also, you know, the Blackhawks are young. We know they're, they're rebuilding. But, I mean, some of those young guys can really push veterans and really help out. And I think a guy like Dominic Cahoon, who spent a couple of years back in Europe uh, after playing junior in the OHL, you know, he, he's been really good for Jonathan Taves in the early going. And when you get that new blood in there, sometimes you get new chemistry, you get guys that are doing different things on the line, and it's worked out really well for the Hawks so far. And, you know, as you said, I mean, Jonathan Taves, he's a proud guy. And, you know, we know he's has, has had a new uh, focus on health the past few years and nutrition and, and a, a, an awareness of everything kinda around like, him. Kind of like me. I, I was just going to say, yep, yep. when I look you at Ken You don't get a body Campbell, like this by sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> when I look at Ken Campbell, I say, is that Jonathan Taves wearing yeah, glasses? Yeah, yeah. Or is it Steve Martin? Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, if, if Taves stays healthy, there's no reason to you know think that he can't improve on his offensive totals from the past couple of years. The other thing is Taves is just rested, and it's funny. So yeah. last year, ah, I, yeah. when I was in, yeah. I was in Chicago yeah. doing our guest editor issue because Taves is our guest editor, and then 
Taves and I were talking about like vacation spots, and he said because he'd gone with his with his partner Lindsay, uh, they they'd gone to like the whatever it was Napa Valley or something, and then he and he stopped and was like, you know, it was weird because I've never taken a vacation in April before. I was like, huh? He's like, you know, because. We always played we in June. Playing, yeah. Yeah. Like, but then we, we, got, we just got swept in the first round. I was like, oh, yeah. I never thought of that. You never would have gotten to take a trip like this. But then two years in a row, they're out round one. and then Last year, they didn't make together. the playoffs, yeah. So I wonder if his That's soul true. and body yeah. finally got a, a ton of rest. Yeah, because that, that first sort of decompression period, you know, if you win the cup or go to the final, that decompression period takes you into... You know, halfway through the summer already, you start right? Start training and to build yeah, your start, body. You know, back. And, yeah. but, but now, you know, you you take the first two weeks off, you go somewhere, you sit on a beach for a while, and then you're recharged and you can. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And no Olympics, no Olympics, no, no Olympics. Olympics. Yes. Yeah, a lot yeah. of commitments yeah. for the guy. That's yeah. fair. No World Cup. No, no World Cup. nothing. Yeah, that's right. No All Star game last well, year. I don't know. Was yeah. he in the All Star game last year? I never watched it. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you were there. I was. He was. There. He was. <laughs> Well, that's it for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. And go to thehockeynews.com if you want to learn more about becoming a member.